Dr. Jonathan Trevor, thank you very much indeed for talking to me in the Judge Business School White Paper podcast today. Why is getting executive pay right so necessary for the success of a company? Well, that, that's actually um, that's not a straightforward question. What does right look like in executive pay is 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 actually a really contentious issue. And indeed, um, I wish I could say that I was the person that had researched and found the definitive answer. Um, I think the reality is there are many who would contend that um, that if one gets executive pay arrangements correct, then what one experiences is alignment between uh, the interests of shareholders um, as principals and uh, directors or executives as agents um, and in doing so that uh, that alignment produces lots of happy outcomes in particular performance corporate performance that uh, ultimately satisfies the owners of the businesses that uh, that they invest in but there must be right and wrong practices in terms of structuring your executive pay grades no, I don't think that's true, actually. I, I think that presumes that one size fits all and that there are absolutes in this game and there really aren't. Um, I think there are lots of prescriptive best practices. Uh, there are lots of codes of governance that imply there are better ways. Um, well, there, are, there is a good way of doing things and a, and a bad way of doing things. Um, but all of those need to be, um, you know, counted or, or indeed the caveat needs to be applied that practice is only meaningful when it's managed in context. And so prescriptive best practice, a universal one-size-fits-all approach to executive pay, often th- these systems fall down simply because they're not contextually sensitive. They're not aligned to the organisation, they're not aligned to the executives in question, they're not necessarily aligned to the interests of shareholders, um, and their understanding or definition of performance can often be quite misaligned in so much as potentially they could uh, incentivize the wrong behaviours for executives, uh, which can result in all sorts of uh, negative outcomes, uh, not least of which you're paying uh, your executives for uh, uh, to underperform or not perform at all. Payment for failure is a really big issue in the field right now. Couldn't you just say copy what others are doing in your sector or copy the competition? Well, it, indeed, um, in many ways, that's received wisdom, even if people don't um, necessarily say that or call it that or, or explicit about it. But this process of emulating um, what successful others do or have done um, is one of the key problems in executive pay right now. Uh, this lack of a bespoke approach, this lack of sensitivity to the contextual conditions um, that each that are pervasive within each firm is actually uh, one of the reasons why I think we're experiencing so many of the troubles that we are in relation to um, executive pay. And, and I tell you, you can pick up the uh, any newspaper on any day from any country in the world, um, and particularly uh, large uh, uh, Western uh, democracies, and find... Um, at least five stories relating to abuses of executive pay, payment for failure, fat cat pay, uh, so on and so on and so on. And, and these are some of the underlying issues, some of the challenges, I think. But if I was going to start a company or if I was a chief executive taking control of a company, I couldn't start from scratch. I couldn't just draw up my pay grades, uh, you know, not looking at what my competitors are doing, what others are doing in the sector. How do you get it right? Um, I, I think a number of things. We're talking about sort of, in a sense, two different issues here. Why do we um, pay our executives at all? Um, like any other employee, you have to pay them. You pay them not so much just for their effort, but you particularly pay to attract and retain and motivate the right talent for the right job. These individuals, and we're dealing with individuals as opposed to a collection of, 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 of many individuals, as is the case with most, most other employees, uh, these specific individuals are normally very high-performing incredibly talented um, and immensely motivated and it's a question of finding from a very small pool 
um, a, a, a kind of the, the right person for such a sensitive role, which is the leadership of, 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 of a multinational corporation that could be many sort of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of employees worldwide. Um, so there's an issue there about attracting, retaining the best possible talent and what shareholder wouldn't want the best talent leading their investment. The second issue comes to, well, once you've got them, what do you do with them? And that's the real issue. That's why we talk about the use of long-term incentives. That's why we talk about uh, the use of equity uh, stock as a means of incentivizing our executives to behave and perform in a certain way. And in particular, to make them accountable for the fortunes of the companies that they lead. Um, and the whole point about that is this, this issue of, of bridging the, the natural disconnect between the interests of shareholders and the interests of executives, which is to say the interests of the principal of the business, the owner, and that of the, the agent, uh, the person that's been tasked with leading it. And I know you think that the role of shareholders is pivotal in all this because often if a company fails, it would be up to the shareholders to say, well, they can't have their incentive package. They can't have their so-called fat cat salaries. Yeah, I mean, let's not call it a fat cat salary. I'm, I am loath to make any sort of generalisation. Um, certainly there are those that would say uh, around uh, executive pay that there are many cases of payment for failure. Uh, there are many very many overinflated salaries um, but let's I think take it on a case-by-case basis and I think one of the things that I believe strongly is that uh, a- executive pay there is a real and very important very clear role for good governance the question is how do you ensure good governance and I think very very many of the ways in which we go about that at the moment aren't necessarily so appropriate to come back to your question what I would like to see more of is direct involvement or direct dialogue, uh, collaboration um, and indeed consensus between shareholders and executives about what constitutes good governance as opposed to, as the case currently, a whole load of intermediary bodies uh, representing the interests of one or the other um, in a way that often isn't constructive nor is it consensual. And of course good governance is about transparency as well, transparency in pay structures, transparency in reporting to the board. Indeed, absolutely. I mean, there is certainly one issue, um, I think, in executive pay, is that it's a a tremendously complex area. Um, It is the most technical end of pay. Um, It's the most important end of pay, arguably, according to some. Um, And and often these structures, by virtue of being so very sort of technically demanding, aren't transparent, Uh, not even to shareholders, perhaps not even to the executives themselves. So rather, you have uh, the, the few people that really do understand pay are the compensation and benefits directors uh, who are tasked with the responsibility for managing pay uh, within their company on behalf of their their chief executive, for example, or board member, um, and and a few select consultancies who advise and assist in the process. And there's an issue about compliance, isn't there, and about recruiting the top talent to your boardroom as well. I mean, if you get it right, does that mean you get the right individuals into the boardroom to run your company? Is pay that essential? Or what about the ethics and the values of the organisation? Well, I, I look at it this way. Um, you, you, you can take a number of different perspectives on pay. Uh, my own view is that pay uh, is a highly emotive issue and it's different things to different people. And, and, and to make a sweeping generalisation, I believe personally, and based upon the research that I've done, lower down in the organisation, pay is for the most part a factor of hygiene. I think when you get to the top level, um, actually it becomes incredibly important and ceases to be hygiene. It is a critical element, perhaps the most critical element um, 
in attracting, retaining the best talent and also incentivizing that talent uh, to perform in ways that, that are conducive uh, to corporate success and, 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 and that serves the interests of shareholders. Um, I don't think it's the only thing that matters, but I think it is is probably the most important thing. Um, so, yes, I do think it's that important. And that's why so much emphasis goes on trying to get it right. And executive pay structures, the whole economy and globally is going through change, recession, thinking about the structures of companies, organisations, economies. Is it going to be an issue that comes to the fore or is it going to be something that people feel guilt about because we're in a recession? Uh, what do you mean by guilt? Guilt that perhaps we're paying our executives too much or, or guilt that you're having to get rid of them and, and do a package to, to say, uh, slim down your company as well. I mean, it's almost an unspoken issue in the workplace. Bonnie, I think you're being overly generous in your estimation of of, of, of most people and, and their view. Um, I think there's, I sense, um, and I think, you know, certainly uh, a lot of the data, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, reporting and, uh, and coverage within the press would indicate that your average man in the street, let's call him Joe Sixpack, um, feels a, a real um, anger and, and, and perhaps a, a, a real... Um, certainly you know a a, a real uh discontent with um or malcontent with with the way that they perceive things are set up currently um i think they perceive that um there is abuses of power there's conflicts of interest um that that we are paying these people too much um that it really is fat cat pay and in particular i can kind of understand that because you're paying an awful lot for what seems like corporate failure um and I think, you know, a key issue and, and it's a statistic that's rolled out again and again and again is the, the difference between the average pay of employees and then the, uh, the pay of, of or the average pay of, of the executive. Um, and, and that gap is only widening um, as, as executive pay goes skyward. And, and indeed it has. There's been almost exponential growth over the last 10 years. Um, However, what's the alternative? Um, one of the things that I find I, I feel personally very uncomfortable with is any notion of a social imperative over what for me is an economic negotiation. Um, and I will come back to this point about attracting, retaining the best talent. Um, I would say talent matters most, particularly at the top, when times are bad, um, certainly as equally as it does when times are good. So would you want to pay, when you need the most, would you want to pay um, your executives least or would you even want to pay so little that you don't attract the best that's really the issue for me so I see an awful lot of knee-jerk public reaction that I don't think is necessarily wholesome it's certainly understandable but not wholesome nor is it necessarily constructive so you're coming back to the issue really of transparency so everybody in the corporation and in the economy understands how executive pay structures are arrived at and and also consensus so that we all agree that we need to pay these top ranking individuals who work to keep their companies afloat enough i mean, personally I, I think you're exactly right there is neither transparency nor there is is there understanding um if i look at the example of sir terry Leahy, for example uh, last year um or perhaps even sorry earlier this year um his uh, the way in which his pay arrangements um, uh, were sort of structured or, or, or at least a proposal about his pay arrangements uh, to incorporate an element of the North American business um, as an extra sort of add-on to the side of that. It, it's horribly technical, so I won't go into it. Um, but, but that uh, produced a, a furious reaction uh, in the press uh, from, from in terms of a public reaction, an equally furious reaction from uh, uh, the Association of British Insurers, uh, plus also uh, investors as well. Um, 
Now, arguably, Sir Terry Leahy is responsible for Tesco being what it is today, and, and that's a runaway success. So uh, what, what you saw there was concerns over governance, but I think the concerns were socially motivated and not necessarily economically motivated. By uh, an economic rationale, actually, uh, it was probably quite appropriate. And indeed, um, would we want you know, would we want to cope without Sir Terry Leahy at the top of Tesco? Um, probably not. Uh, whatever one thinks about Tesco, um, it is a corporate success story um, and provides employment for for many thousands. And, and, and so in that sense, um, I, I, I found it a bit baffling myself. Well, we may be less generous towards those running the banks. But, but if we finally uh, arrive at a conclusion on behalf, let's say, of two groups of people. First of all, uh, we look at the companies themselves and the shareholders who want to get a return from their investment. And then we look at the general public, who may be the consumers of the services that these companies provide. So let's start with the shareholders. What message would you give to them in the current financial climate? Oh, that's an extremely hard question. I, I suppose... Um, keep the faith. Um, I, I think we should always strive for good governance. I think we need to ask ourselves some very serious questions. What does that mean? Um, can there be generic prescriptions? We have government um, codes of governance, um, such as the Higgs Report, uh, Greenbury, uh, Turnbull. Um, and actually, the UK has been, I believe, very competitive, um, very very sensitive, and, 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 and indeed very sensible in terms of a tradition of of good governance around precisely the, these issues of reporting, but also executive pay. And and I think in that sense, we're an exemplar to the world. So the issue is, how can we best apply those generic prescriptions around what constitutes good practice, good governance, um, the principles of executive pay? How can we best apply them in context? Um, investors will not allow companies to do that themselves. But equally, investors themselves need to work with companies to work that out. But at the moment, I perceive there's a bit of a them and us. And there's a whole load of intermediary bodies, um, often representing investors, who uh, could facilitate the process. Arguably, it gets very political. And I think we can be a bit smarter about that. Indeed, we need to be smarter because ultimately we are all accountable. Uh, companies are not just simply accountable to their owners. They have to be accountable to the public and their, also, and their employees. They're incredibly important, but often overlooked i believe and to the consumers so if i was a member of the public at the moment and my company said well let's pay our chief executive more because it's tough times would you say i should understand the motivation behind that i would say companies would have to work very hard to demonstrate you know why that's necessary what the rationale is but i would urge people to at least listen and engage in a dialogue um, and i really do believe that uh, shareholders um have a responsibility indeed it's in their interest understand how these things work executive pay isn't going to go away we have the current arrangements for 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 good or ill um and and they're not going to go away and we have them for a reason because actually there is this immutable uh, uh, problem and this is disparate interests between uh, the owners um uh, and 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 those that are in control they're not typically the same person indeed we wouldn't want them to be uh, often uh, except in the case of say family firms um so so there's this issue of, of this divergence of interest between the principal and the agent between the owners and the and and, and the, the executives um and and we try very hard to to kind of bridge this gap to to put in place mechanisms that bring them into the closest possible alignment um, and we believe incentives are the most efficient form of doing that um uh, it's not perfect but equally, it, there are, it's the least imperfect system that, 
that I can see at the moment. So it's a question of, of, of making it work better. And that doesn't mean putting in place a new WYSI, very technical design. It means encouraging greater dialogue between all the various stakeholders involved. And this, I would say, has become a societal issue. It is that important. And, and in a sense, if you don't believe me, look at Enron. Um, part of the collapse of Enron was because executives were incentivized to create phantom companies, ultimately had no value, sucked up all the value, um, and, and caused the implosion of the company. And, and look at the implications of that. Which again comes back to good governance, accountability, consensus, and transparency. Absolutely. Dr. Jonathan Trevor, thank you very much indeed for talking to me today in the Judge Business School White Paper podcast. Thank you very much.